The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to gather tonight. I thank you for every single person in this room. And I know that there are people right now that don't know exactly why they're here. They're not even... um, uh, sure where you are right now, but I really believe, God, that you have a divine appointment with each and every person in this room tonight. That there is something that you want to talk to them about. That you notice them, that you see them in the middle of wherever they are. That even if they feel like they are doing it on their own, that they are walking by themselves, that they are making decisions on their own, that in fact you are intimately involved with them, that you are calling them that you know them by name, that you know the details of their lives, that you know the things that they are proud of, you know the things they are ashamed of, the things that they think nobody else knows about. You know. You called them anyway. You said, I made you. I formed you. I had an idea for you. You are on purpose. You are not an accident. Lord, we ask tonight that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I know that We are tired. We've been working all day. We've been doing stuff. So, Lord, I'm going to pray that you will wake up our spirits, that you will give us that expectancy, that we will not walk out of here simply having heard a talk, but that we will have walked out of here listening through your word to you. So, Lord, I ask that you'd sift all of these words and that you would let what you want stick and ultimately transform hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Well, welcome. Good to see you. Um, my name's Dave. Um, some of you all know me. Um, I uh, get the honor of coming and uh, joining you all from time to time. Um, and uh, was a... Uh, Pastor for college ministry for about six years, and then uh, and then I've been a therapist for about the same. And um, in the middle of that, worked a stint at REI. Loved that. Um, yeah, no joke. Folding sweaters was like the apex of, of what I had to do, and it was so relaxing. It was great. Um, uh, there really was a time when the like the VP, she's now like the CEO, amazing woman, walks by, and, and I was literally folding a stack of sweaters, and this is in between being a pastor, and I was going to grad school again. And, and she walks by with this entourage of really, really important people, and they, they all look at me, and, and they look at the sweater, and she goes, Dave, did you fold those sweaters? And I said, I did. She just goes, thank you for being here. And I just was like, this is the best job ever. <laughs> um so, but it is good to be. It is good to be here. We're going to talk about transitions. We're going to do it over two weeks. I'm going to do it this week, and we're going to go next week. So, I encourage you, if you've got friends that you know they're right in the middle of the transition, I really encourage you to bring them next week, um, and um, and let them know that we'll be talking about that. We're going to get through. Uh, we're going to get through one half of what we got to get through in two weeks. And what we're, we're, we're going to do is, uh, basically, I could take take the, uh, I'm doing a Sunday school class and the same thing, and I told them, I could pick the Bible up and, and open it anywhere, and we would be right in the middle of transition. The Bible is full of God taking people from one place 
and moving them through a period of desert time and moving them into a new place. And that is constantly going on, whether it's being called out of what you know, a home that you've become familiar with, or, or moving out of even a way of thinking. Jesus looking over at Peter and saying, you're a fisherman, I'll make you a fisher of men. Transition time, coming forward, coming forward. Paul being a Pharisee, a, a Jew that knew the law backwards and forwards, being called out. And literally having an encounter with, with Christ himself and almost like scales falling off of his eyes and suddenly he sees the world in a different way and his whole life is transformed and the whole process of transition from one way of, of being and a whole station in life moving into a whole new vocation. And you all know what that's like. If there is anything that I know about 20s and 30s, it is about transition. You've come out of a place where you have been a child. You've been moving through that with all of the stories and the ways that you interpreted the world. And then some of you went to college or some of you went off to work. And you know what that transition, like coming into adulthood and starting to feel like that, that kind of, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? I'm doing something, but maybe it doesn't quite feel like it's, it's really giving me life or feeding my soul. And the feeling of, I'm meant for, I'm meant for something. It feels like I'm, I'm, I'm living, I'm doing, I'm, I'm breathing, I've got people in my life, but there's that tug. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of that internal pull where it's not necessarily like everything is wrong so much, but it's just that it's not quite settled. Some of you have worked so hard to get to a certain place. And it's like you put the ladder on the building in the old phrase, you climb so hard and you climb so high only to find out the ladder's on the wrong building. You get there and you got the income you want or you got maybe a relationship, but it still feels like something, this, this tug. And I really believe that, that what part of the spiritual journey, part of discipleship, that Jesus sets out when He's calling just ordinary people just like you and just like me, when He's saying... I want to know if you'll come and follow me. I want to, I want to know if you will trust your life into my hands. Part of that, that journey is a growing awareness that is like a spiritual listening. It's, it's not your ears. So when people come up to me and say, well, what's God told you recently? I always struggle with that question. I'm like, well, I feel this spiritual pull and it's, it's a, it's like a different sense. It's not touch. It's not hearing. It's not sight. It's not smell. It'd be great if we could smell God and just follow Him like a dog. <laughs> no, no. You know, just walk around. But it doesn't work quite like that. You know, and think, kind of thankful that it doesn't really. It'd be an uncomfortable thing to watch everybody do. Um, but there's that sense of a spiritual beginning to hear spiritually, that sense of a spiritual dissatisfaction, a tug that God is pulling, God is moving and saying, look, I want to tell you something, that your life matters. You matter. What you do here has significance. I want you to, I want you to spend your life lavishly. I don't want you to hoard it. I don't want you to tuck it in the ground like the parable of the talents. Not brings up all kinds of stuff for us because it's like, well, what do, you, what do I do with the stuff that feels familiar? What do I do with the stuff that I know? What do I do with the stuff that's, that's home? Even if home is crappy, it's still what I know. So we find people, and this is what I, I work with all the time, we see people that come from a place that's crappy and they want to leave, but then they go ahead and do what? 
set up another place that's crappy. I just got you all to say crappy in church. Um, I apologize, John. Um, the, uh, the, uh, but you know what that's like. And there's that sense that here I am again in a place that's just like what I came from. It's just another version of what I came from. And there's that spiritual tug, that spiritual sense of you're meant for more. You're meant for more. I built you for significance. Don't think you don't think that you don't matter. You do matter. So I really believe that we as a people are called to transition. It's not an option that 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 if we say no to it is going to work. We know what it's like to try and say no, and it just feels that stuck feeling like water in a well that's not moving. It just gets bitter. It just gets stagnant. We know that feeling. That that feeling of, of, of just, of, of this, of no life. So we're going to look at the Israelites. Now, how many of you grew up in, in went to Sunday school when you were a kid? Don't, no shame if you didn't. About half of you. Okay. I did, and, and I didn't learn anything in my Sunday school because there's a lot of, like, uh, felt on felt. You know those, what are the flannel grams? Flannel grams, what they call flannel grams, you know? And, and it was just, and I was such the ADD kid. I'm just looking off and drawing and doing whatever and can't wait to get out. We had bell choir. I love that. That was great. I had the big bells. I had the two big ones, and I just waited my turn, you know. And so they're, dong, and I'm just like, I love that. I did that. Um, mess up on the big bells, and everybody notices. Dong, and I'm like, what's wrong? Um, but... Um, so what I'm going to do tonight is for those of us who have forgotten the story, I'm going to kind of bring us through. So I need a couple of people here. I'm going to, I'm wondering if I, if I can get just a few volunteers here. You three did not want to sit in the front. Would you guys be, would you guys be willing to come on up? Good. All right, good. I need three people here to come on up here. And I'm going to show you this. Can we get the five names up that? Okay, so let's have, what's your name? Erica. Erica. Okay, everybody say hi to Erica. Hi, Erica. And what's your name? Mike. Mike. Okay, Mike, you're going to stand right here. Mike, say hi to Mike. Hi, Mike. And you're? Brock. Brock. I know, Brock. Come on over here, Brock. Okay, so basically, here's what has to happen. Okay, so we got three. Hi, Brock. Hi, oh, sorry. I left Brock out. That's not nice. Okay, so now I need... He does. Oh, no, he matters. He matters. First point, he does matter. And suddenly, there was a fight at Convergence. And they never forgot it. Um, okay, so let's see. So here's what I need is I need five more. How about you three? Uh, all right, come on up. All right, and then you two can come on back up here. Do you mind? Do you mind? Come on up. All right, great. All right, so come on up here. These are the five famous men in the Bible right here. All right, so here's what we have. We have right over here, we have Brock, and Brock is Canaan. And so what we have is over here we have Abraham. Or we'll call him Abram because that's the way he starts out. So everybody say, hi, Abram. Hi, Abram. Abram. What's your name? Megan. Hi, Megan. Okay, so Megan Abram, is she is basically what we would call the father of the faith because God has a conversation with with him, her, and says, "Um, I am going to make you, Megan Abram, a great nation. And he says, basically what I'm going to do, and and this time, Megan, you wouldn't know this. You'd think she's probably 20s. Um, but, you know, the problem is she's actually about 75. Um, she's aging well. She's doing great. Um, and so um, he says, I'm going to make you a father of great, of a great nation. And he says, well, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey. 
and I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you descendants beyond your wildest belief. Okay. And so, so she, she goes, he wanders around, wanders around through the desert, through the desert, and comes to Canaan. Brock comes to Canaan. Brock. And there, she, she, he gets older and older and older, and nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it, until finally, probably about 95 years old. Why God, this is one of those key little side points, um, that for some of you, it is amazing to me that throughout the Bible, one of the consistent themes is that God calls the most unlikely people to do amazing things. So you may be looking at it and go, I could never do that. And I think you have to go back through the Bible and say, does that does the Bible testify that God only calls the qualified? And I, I, want, to, I want to postulate that, that I think God is in the business of calling very unqualified, uh, the, the unqualified to do God's work. It's just a great way for there to be no other excuse except that God was doing something amazing. So here we have Abraham. And finally, he has a son. What's your name? Laura. Laura. Come on over here, Laura. Laura comes over here. And this is Isaac. Isaac, this is your son, Isaac. And, uh, and, and Isaac um, is, gives birth or has a son. What's your name? Christy. Christy, Christy has, Chris, oh man, I'm getting all confused. Um, has a son, and, uh, has a son, Jacob. And Jacob is the one that wrestles with God. And, 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 we, and basically we change Jacob's name. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. And it's, a, it's one of those, after the wrestling, he gets a new name. And there's that sense for some of you that there was a before and an after. There's a sense of that wrestling time with God where when you're done, there's a sense that you are not going to be the same person anymore. And that's exactly what happens with, what's your name again? Christy. Christy. That's what happens with Christy Israel. And um, so then, now what happens is she, he, she has, he has another son, and this is Joseph. What's your name? Brenna. Brenna. What is it? Brenna. 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 He, he, she, he, Israel, has a son, Joseph. Now, Joseph is a kind of a guy that irritates me a little bit because he's kind of one of, he's the young, he's, he's kind of this young kind of guy. He's, and he's always kind of subtly gloating. I mean, he's one of these guys, he has these dreams from when he was a kid. And, and some of you know you, Joseph from the Technicolor Dreamcoat, that thing that Donnie Osmond did for years. That's who they're talking about right now. So I'm sorry you get to play Donnie Osmond. And so um, she, he, Joseph, is the one that would come to his brothers and go, you know, it's really weird. I had this other dream, brothers. I don't know what it means. All I know is that we were all standing around and I was exalted and you guys weren't. Can't figure it out. And the brothers, of course, are just going, you're kind of a jerk, you know, like we don't. So the, the, the anger builds, the anger builds, the anger builds, and eventually the brothers betray him. They take him out and they basically leave him for dead in the pit. He is Taken captive, he's taken, he's taken by a, there's a big passing uh, group of soldiers. They take him and they move him over through Mike, the desert. And he, Mike goes, oh, I gotta be the desert. And goes over to Erica, who is Egypt. Okay? So this is where Joseph is now, and he, she, grows up to be very powerful. He, through a series of dreams, the Pharaoh begins to, to, to hear about this Joseph and basically, through a series of events, raises Joseph up to be second in command. So now they're in Egypt. Now there's a problem. Is that in Egypt, you guys all right to stay right there for a second? Okay. 
problem is, is that in Egypt, not the problem, the good thing about Egypt is suddenly there's a sense that um, we're safe. Joseph gets older and older and gets more and more powerful, and suddenly, in a dream, he realizes there's going to be seven years where the crops are going to come in, everything is going to be plentiful, and then following that, there's going to be seven years of famine. So what Joseph does is he comes over and he takes, which one were you? I don't remember. You don't remember? Okay, well, which, do you remember which one you were? No, not Israel. You were Israel? Okay, who was Jake? Who's Israel? You are. Good. You guys have unfortunately passed away. And um, so Joseph brings his father back and all of his brothers and says to them, but now this is going to be your new home. So now they're in Egypt. So you understand how they move from the promised land to Egypt. Now, this is where we get in our scripture. You guys can all sit down now. Let's give them a, a little hand. Thank you, guys. You all caught up with me now? You understand what happened? So this is Abraham. You guys just walked all the way through, halfway through Genesis, all the way up to the beginning of Exodus. All right, Exodus 1. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel. We already learned that that was Jacob. Who came to Egypt. They came, each one with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, Nasher, and all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, and Joseph was already in Egypt. And Joseph died. Sorry, Joseph, wherever you were. And all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. You get the picture? So Egypt is now become like a haven. And these Israelites are growing up in, in the midst of these Egyptians and they're just becoming more and more, more and more uh, fruitful. They're, they're doing well. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And in the event of war, they, could, they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. But what he's getting afraid of, he says, look, it's just a matter of time before some outlying army comes at us. And these Israelites, they're going to join with them and overthrow us. That can't happen. He says, so they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. They basically take them as slaves. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more the Egyptians afflicted the Israelites, the more the Israelites multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to do labor rigorously. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named Sifra, and the other was named Pua. And she said, and he said, when are you helping? He says, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon their birth stool, if it is a son, listen to this, you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So what they're going to try and do is they're going to say, okay, we can't break them. Let's start weeding them out. It's like, a, it's like a subtle form of genocide. We're going to just take out all the males. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. 
So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Can you imagine how much courage this would take? All your life you've never been given any power at all. You'd be barely spoken to if you were walking on the street. And suddenly the Pharaoh himself calls you. He says, What are you doing? I gave you a direct order. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. Basically, they cover for them. They say, look, hey, they're just giving birth before we can even get there. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And it came about because the midwives feared God that he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Can you imagine how scared you'd be? Suddenly you give birth, and you know that if the government catches your little boy, he's dead. But when she, could, when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch, and she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And this is Moses. So you see this transition, this movement that comes from freedom and begins to move through generations to a place of slavery. That's the way transition oftentimes, you know it's coming. Because something that was okay, something that was working, stops working. It grows and evolves and becomes something that now what used to give life, now doesn't give life. Maybe something that simply was functional. Some of you come from families where you know what I'm talking about. You came from a place where there were certain rules or certain expectations. In order for you to count, you've got to achieve this. And no one may ever even talk about this. They may never even say specifically that this is what you have to do. But we just know. We, we grow up. We just get it. We get it that this is the thing that I've got to get if I'm going to matter. Well, then lo and behold, you start growing up and you start doing your own growth and start thinking and start discovering who you are and who God knit you together to be. And you got to know whether this is what I'm meant for. And there's that feeling of having to wrestle with, if I don't do this... Will I count? Will I matter? And I'll tell you what, if you're like me and you can confuse the voice of your parents for the voice of God, that gets real tricky because you're not sure. Is this God that called me to this? Or is this my parents? What if I'm meant for something different? That spiritual hearing starts happening, that sense of, what was okay or what was functional is starting to feel like it's imprisoning. And it becomes an Egypt. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that sense that this isn't going to be enough. Well, here's the problem. Is that Egypt provides a lot of stuff for the Israelites. One, it provides protection. All these other outlying armies. Before that, when they were over here, 
they're kind of an exposed little tribe, and they're kind of growing. They're growing a little bit. They're growing. They're growing okay. But there's a lot of tribes out there that are growing okay. God said, Abraham, I am going to make you a great nation. Lo and behold, through all these series of events, and some of these events were really, really bad. They land in a place where suddenly they can begin to grow. They have the protection of the Egyptian army all around them, and no one's going to mess with them. They have food. They get provided for. Some of you know what it's like to be in a place where all of your needs are kind of taken care of, so it's hard to leave. What am I going to do without that income? What am I going to do without that check I'm so used to getting? This starts to provide a sense of community. This is where all their friends are. This is where all the people they know are. They would have known Egyptians. They would have known the people around them. This is the land I grew up in. It's about 400 years that takes place that they're at, that over this, this process. They're in Egypt for a long, long... It's longer than 400 years. It's 400 years that they're in Egypt, let alone the, the amount of time that it takes from, from Abraham to get there. They're there. Imagine two times the length of the amount of time our country has existed. So you're raised in a place and suddenly... This place, you haven't even seen the, the changes. You were born into slavery. You, this is something that, that you are used to. They're given all of these things, and then out of the middle of that, it starts becoming something that is no longer going to work well enough. And there's this great passage that, in, in, uh, as it goes on in, in chapter 2, I love this passage. It says, So God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw, God saw the sons of Israel, all of these people, all of you, all of me, and God took notice of them. I love that picture of you being where you are, me being where I am. And God going, I hear you. I hear that groaning that you don't let anybody hear. Talk to a woman. She's going through an amazing transition right now. It's most likely that her marriage is going to end. It's been a bad place for her for a long, long time. She's done good work to try and make it work. It's just not. And she was raised in a way that her instinct is that when things get tough, go alone. Do it by yourself. And so she's been in this group of women, and she came and actually let herself cry in front of the group. Never done, and never done that. I, asked, I said, is this the first time you've ever cried in front of other women? She goes, yeah. She said, you know, I'm not going to be here next week. I said, why is that? She goes, well, I got some stuff. I said, is that because it's hard to lean in when you're, you're feeling vulnerable? She goes, yeah, I don't lean. I don't lean in. Some of you are like that. When things get tough, you kind of hunker down. You kind of get stoic. You kind of just kind of decide to shoulder it all on your own. I love this idea of God leaning in and just going, I notice you. I have heard the groans that you make that no one else hears. So Moses has this incident where he's out 
and there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And he goes out to take a look at it. And this is where he has his encounter with God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I love this. Now think about Moses. Moses is just growing up. He doesn't know. He wasn't raised in leadership school. He didn't go to the Tony Robbins you know, motivational speaking seminar that would have been so helpful for him. National Outdoor Leadership School didn't know how to make fire with a flint. So Moses says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? It's kind of a simple answer. I love that. All these dudes going, why isn't that bush going? What's going on? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Now it's interesting because way back when we had Abram, who would be called Abraham, he finally has his son Isaac. And what does God ask him to do but sacrifice his son? And goes through this and he brings his son to the place of the sacrifice and God calls to him. You know the first three words out of his mouth? Here I am. Front to back. There's this common denominator of people who are going to go through transition. And that is those three words. Here I am. I don't know the way it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I'm not sure how we're going to get through this big old sea that's standing right before us as the Egyptian armies are going to be running down our backs. I don't know how it's going to work. But Lord, here I am. Now I want to give you that. If there's no other thing you remember from tonight, is that your job is not to be able to master everything. Your job is not to be God. Your job is to be available. That's it. From the point of being available, God begins to move. God begins to turn things. God begins to bring things into your life. And the step by step, each time, the call is to three words. Here I am. Here I am. Which in Hebrew means I'm available. And I think that was what God was looking for as a job requirement for the people that he would call to make it through transition. Are you with me? Thumbs up if you're with me. You understand? Okay. I'm always one of those people that kind of needs a little practical tool. I kind of need something to do because that's just how I am. And so some of you, this is not going to matter at all. Um, But for those of you who want something to, to, to start doing, how do I go about when I say, here I am, what do I do? What do I do in the midst of that? I'm going to give you four things. Let me go ahead and switch that. There are four Items. This is based on a lot of research around people working with anxiety because transitions can be a really anxious time. And the four things are listing the facts. What are the facts about where you are, 
about what you're feeling, about what you're wanting, about what you're thinking, about what's going on. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now, and I almost thought about bringing somebody up to do this, but I'm not going to do it because it would be too vulnerable. But here's the deal. I will, I, I will almost promise you that you think you know the facts about what's happening, and I bank that most likely what you're confusing them for are your fears. A lot of times we will mistake the facts of where we are for the fears of what's going to happen or the fears of what might be. So I'll say, what's the fact? And you'll say, well, I'm probably not going to have this job. Is that a fact? I don't know. Then it's not a, then if you don't know, it's not a fact. What are the facts? Well, this job is not satisfying me. That's a fact. What's a fact? This job pays me well. That's a fact. What's a fact? Been here for three years. That's a fact. What's well, a fact? My father did this, so there's a lot of pressure for me to stay on. That's a fact. To list out the facts, and I want to challenge you to write them down. If you can't write them down, they're probably not clear enough. And I want to have you, challenge you to check them with a friend. Is this a fact or is this a fear? The second thing is options. You can imagine someone going through this starts to think about options. What are, what are some of the options that I have? If I'm going to say, here I am, what are the options that are starting to be in front of me? You start listing. Well, think about Moses. One of my options is I can say, here I'm not. I'm going back home and I'm going to pretend I never saw that bush. That's what I'm doing. How was your day, Moses? Good. No bushes. All fine. Just going to go about doing what I do. That's an option. He can do that. That's an option. What's the fact? He saw a bush that was on fire. It wasn't burning. That was a miracle for him. That's a fact. What's a fact? He heard the voice of God speak to him. What's a fact? He said, here I am. That's a fact. What's an option? His option is to move forward and begin to watch how things unfold because he's going to be raised up to lead his people out of a place that was good that has become not good. Plan. The studies watch people's brains, and they watch when people have, when they don't have the facts, when they don't think about options, and when they don't think about a plan, and they're just doing what's called ruminating, literally coming from the word, like, to chew your cud. Literally, you're just, you're chewing over and over, and you're going, what am I going to do, 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 you know, that, that feeling. We know that. You're walking around, and you're just chewing on the same thing over and over again, as if somehow there's going to be this, revelation that comes in and it never I'm just going to keep chewing and chewing and chewing stop, 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 stop stop <sighs> what are the facts what are the facts, what are options that I have, what's a plan what they watch of the brain just cool right down somehow God has wired us this way we need to be going through a, a process that's different than just simply chewing on our fears plan I will go home and pretend I didn't see anything. That could be a plan based on some of the options he came up with. Or my plan can be I'm going to look up and I'm going to say, here I am. And I'm going to take a step and I'm going to say, here I am. I'm going to take another step and I'm going to say, here I am. I'm going to take another step and I'm going to say, here I am. I'm going to tell God when I think he's got the wrong man. I'm going to tell God when I don't think I can do it. I'm going to tell God when I'm afraid. I'm going to tell God when I get angry. That's going to be my plan. I'm going to say yes to God, and I'm going to be honest with God with how I feel in the moment. That's what Moses does. 
Moses starts this journey, and at every step of the way, when he thinks God's got it wrong, he says, God, I think you got it wrong. He and God argue a lot. That's why for those of you who think you can't argue with God, I challenge you to go back through Exodus. Moses does it all the time. Facts, options, and a plan. And then finally, the fourth one is a perspective. And this is the, this is the last one. It's the idea of stepping back a little bit. Stepping back out of the situation. Almost imagine that you could see it. You can visualize it. Almost like you're, you're not in it anymore. It's coming down. And you're almost like looking down inside the cylinder. And you can see all the stuff that's going on. Stepping back and asking yourself a really, quick, a really critical question. In, 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 in that is, where's God in all this? In the, in the, in the, in the, is, is God left me? Am I by myself? Did God stop existing? I know this is hard. I know that when I'm in it, when I'm looking all around, my perspective is limited. It's like being at a crowd and you can't see if you're five foot two. You know what this is like. You're standing in a crowd and everybody's shoulder blades is all around you. And all, it's all, some of you are going, that's not funny. Um, but you know, what I'm, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you have no perspective. And the idea of imagine I could take you and lift you ten feet up and say, look around. See, here's the edge of the desert. Here, here's the edge of the desert there. The desert has an end. I know in the middle it feels like it goes on forever, but that's a wrong perspective. You've got to remember that if God calls you to a transition, that there's an end, that there's another place, that there's a place that he's calling you to. He's not going to, that there's, that there's this sense that, that God has the whole thing in mind. Now, here's the deal. We're going to pick this up next week. But part of the transition is... And this is hard for us, for us in this country, I think. He said, I think God moves not just in our own lives, but sometimes God is causing a transition through our generations. And so you may come from a family where there was abuse. And maybe the transition for you is to begin the journey of becoming someone that knows how to set up the boundaries and the safety systems that will keep you from that again. But you don't quite get rid of the memories. Your transition, your leaving, is going to get you so far. But maybe your children won't have the same memories that you do. They'll still pick up a little bit of the fear that you have, the way that you still shrink back and things that remind you of the things that you come from. But maybe they'll have just a little bit less. And maybe the children that come from them will have even less. You see, you may be a part of a generational transition that moves from a certain way of thinking to another way of thinking, one way of being to another way of being. And that, to me, means not just simply your children, but it may be the people that you invest in, the people that you give your lives to, the communities that you go and pour in. So maybe there's someone there that you take the generational move, and there's some people that, that don't have money enough to, put, to get food. And you give to them hope and the belief that they can start to do stuff for themselves that they never knew they could. You go on a mission trip or you go on a service night and you take the transition that God has been moving in your life and you take that and yeah, you've got memories or you've got beliefs or you you can beat yourself up all day and all night but you know the truth that God is saying you are significant. You don't deserve to beat yourself up. You don't deserve the kind of treatment that you give yourself sometimes and you know that truth and you give that to somebody else. You tell them the truth about their worth, about what they're made of, about their significance. You tell them. And they take it. See, I think God moves that way. So sometimes you've got to see yourself as the, as the primary mover, but sometimes I think it's helpful to see yourself as one of the people 
in the midst of a long transition. Are you with me? Does that make sense? See, that's where we start thinking about how are you living your life in a way that pays forward? What are you doing in your life that pays forward to the people that you're coming in contact with? I was working at REI because that was my desert between being a pastor and a counselor. And I don't tell this story a lot because I don't. But, man, when I left being a pastor, it was a it was like my life just collapsed. I had a relationship with the senior pastor and the senior pastor changed position and there was just it was just a, a disagreement about some serious things and I just felt like the bottom dropped out of my life and I came back to Seattle and I wasn't even sure if I believed in God. Because I couldn't figure out why a good God would let something happen that just hurt so bad. So I went to work at a place where I didn't have any responsibilities at all. Where I could put on a green vest, punch a clock, let a 22-year-old tell me I was 15 minutes late for break. That's humbling. And I stayed in that desert for about four and a half years while I was going to school. And in that time, I had friends come around me that were just solid, solid, solid people. And all they did was let me complain and let me get mad and let me grieve. And then I started finally working as a therapist. And I'm going to tell you something, that there's this feeling of, I don't know what will come next. There will be another transition for me. But I'll tell you what, there's not a day that goes by in my life that I am not thoroughly thankful for where I am. And I don't know how I would have ever left that land that had become for me a very constricting place and walk through the desert and do what I'm doing now and even be able to be here with you. It's a little bit about me, but I'm not just talking about it because I think it should be talked about. I think it's real. I think that we go through these things and they're bigger than what we can imagine. And when you're in the midst of that desert time, in the place you wouldn't have necessarily chosen for yourself. I think God does amazing things with us. That's where we're going to pick it up next week. We're going to pick it up where from, from the desert, moving into the desert, towards the place that we're going. But for this night, my challenge to you people that are in the place that is your current Egypt, and you're getting out there and you're starting to feel that spiritual thirst, that spiritual pull, I want to challenge you. Three words. Here I am. Because I got to tell you, when it was all stripped down for me, when I couldn't figure out what was going on, I just remember this day in my living room with my journal. And those are the only three words I could write. close my journal and start walking. That was it. God, I pray for every person in this room. I know that they are in their own place. And some of them may be 
in really, really great spots. They've come through the desert. They've left Egypt. They've come through the desert. They are in a great spot. So I pray, Lord, that they'll take this and they'll bring it to the people in their lives that are not there. And they'll be one of those people that can gather with them as they're getting ready to leave, as they're looking around at Egypt and saying, do I really want to go with all the things it gives me? Or the people that are in the desert where they're, they're, they're thirsty and they're hungry and they're scared and they feel alone. Maybe you need to send these people to them. And then I pray for the people in this room right now that they are in Egypt. And they are making very serious decisions about whether they can muster up the words, here I am. But I pray for them. I do. I pray for courage. I pray for a humility, a simplicity, an authenticity. The ability to not know anything except that you are God, that you have put something in their hearts, and that spiritual tug, that spiritual whisper, that spiritual sense inside them that they are being called to move is real, and it's from you. And that they will, on their pillow tonight, say the words, Here I am. And all God's people said, Amen.